0: All right, team, welcome back to The Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Dr. Lori Watson. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's got a PhD in sexology, licensed clinical mental health counselor, and a number of other accreditations. She is very, very accredited. And so as you can probably tell, we're going to talk a little bit about sex today. She's also the host of a popular podcast called Foreplay Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. And has done a tremendous amount of work. She's written for the New York Times and has been a contributor for BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and WebMD and a whole bunch of other platforms. So today we're going to talk quite a bit about sex. We're going to talk about desire discrepancy between partners. We are going to talk about how to communicate about sex. We are going to talk about getting your needs met sexually And some of the barriers that couples naturally go through, we are also going to talk about sexless marriages uh, because this is a, a very common thing that I think a lot of people deal with at some point. I think the data is that one in four marriages will become sexless. And it's something like one in four marriages will be sexless within the first two to three years, I believe is what she said in the show. So this is an important conversation to have. How do we maintain sexual connection? How do we keep it robust and vibrant? And what are some of the tools that we can use so that you can keep that healthy, vibrant sex life going in your life? So whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, whether you've been married for a while, this is probably going to be a great podcast to tune into with your partner. So I would recommend sending this to your partner, either listening to it on your own or listening to it together and pausing and having some dialogue and asking some questions because there's some very good... Content in here for you to have some dialogue about. So, with all of that said, please welcome Dr. Lori Watson. All right, Dr. Watson, welcome to the Man Talk Show. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, it's good to be with men and man talks. This is great.
0: You betcha. Well, I appreciate the listeners might not know this, but we tried to record when I just moved into my house. And we didn't have internet, and so that failed. And so this is our second attempt. I appreciate (laughs) your patience and your willingness to come back on. Let's begin where we always begin, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Sure. So I'm a sex therapist, and the reason I became a sex therapist was I was actually teaching premarital work, teaching couples and one of the requirements was that they come back and see me individually for a little bit and and then beyond that couples came back to deal with their sexual problems and these were young people i was young and they were young and they were dealing with so many sexual problems and i just thought this is this is not what i expected you know i expected people when they're first married to be having a honeymoon but it turns out and this is a scary stat, and that within two years, most couples are either low-sexed or sexless. And I think Mm -hmm. I have some answers about that. But for me, realizing this, and also being a fairly young, young married person myself, who also thought, oh, you know, there's, there's a mismatch here sexually between me and my husband. And, you know, all of that just collided in me, my professional experience, my personal experience, saying this area is so important to work in. And I did then specialize in um sexuality as a therapist for my profession and probably to learn something about myself and my relationship.
0: Awesome. Well I appreciate that. And it's interesting because, you know, sex is one of those things I mean, I work only with men, and generally talk only to men. And sex is one of those things that it's it's front and center. You know, we we want to talk about it. And what's interesting is yesterday I actually put up a post that detailed some of the latest data and research around young men in their twenties, and it was showcasing that in the last decade, specifically between 2008 2018, because we don't have data more recent than that. Men in their twenties, the rate of men not having sex in their twenties has doubled to 27%. And so it's interesting because this conversation is sort of entering into the forefront of young men and couples. And and I think the sexual landscape has changed quite a bit. And I think that couples' expectations have changed quite a bit of what they want sexually. Yeah. So in your practice, can you sort of give us, I want to start broadly, and then we're going to narrow down to some specific topics like You know what to do when there's sexual discrepancy when one partner wants more sex than the other, Mm -hmm. um, those types of pieces. But how how do you feel like the landscape of sex within the context of relationships has changed post pandemic? What have what have you noticed, if anything, in your practice?
1: That's a really good question. I think that mostly what I see is people through the pandemic who were not partnered. It began to be more valuable to them to think about. I got to get partnered up here. You know, because I am a sexual being, this is one driving force that pushes us toward relationship. And I think a lot of people were lonely, especially single people. You know, there was a lot of fear. Certainly people were still getting together, but there was a lot of fear and a lot of backing off from hookups and dating. And so I think on the one hand, the good thing was, is it drove people to think more seriously about relationship, you know, so that they have more security. And, you know, I'm a person who I think it's perfectly fine if you want to go through life as a single person. You know, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But there's this African proverb that says, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I probably believe that life is difficult. And (laughs) being partnered, and partnering is difficult, certainly. But being partnered is probably in the long run, a better way to go because you have support and care and hopefully you have sex and you know you have that person that you're with who supports your purpose and life is better. Mm.
0: What would you say are some of the foundational pieces or or pillars of having a really strong intimacy within a sexual intimacy within a relationship? Cause I think, you know, within the personal development space, a lot of people talk about polarity. There's sort of the notion that that sex should just sort of be a natural thing that happens in your relationship that I think some people hold. So it's kind of varied, but I'm curious to get your perspective. Like what are some of the pieces that allow for sexual intimacy to really flourish within a relationship?
1: So I think if you're male, the thought of having to work at sex can be a little bit of a foreign concept because men generally have massive amounts of testosterone. So they feel drive. They feel biological drive. So they're relying on drive to tell them it's time to have sex. If they're partner in a heterosexual relationship, which is, by and large, who I work with, although I do work with gay and lesbian couples, but by and large, it can be really mysterious. Like, okay, why don't you have the same drive? I mean, when we do it, it's so much fun. It's so great and you have an orgasm and i have an orgasm who wouldn't want to do this and what is difficult to think about is that you're partnered with a being a creature who doesn't have the same hormonal makeup the same chemistry and so it's it's radically different in terms of how they get there and then mm. to top it all off there's this cycle that happens in the sexual relationship so it's not just drive based It's also relationally based. In a romantic relationship, we have two primary cycles, the emotional cycle and the sexual cycle. Emotionally, we kind of get it. One person says, you know, I want to talk to you. I want to share feelings with you. I want to spend time with you. The other person, you know, I kind of feel more like I want to work more. I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own hobbies. One person wants more connection. The other person kind of wants more autonomy. When we pledge fidelity and monogamy, if we're in a relationship with that kind of constraint, and the one person says, hey, I want to have sex with you, you wanted to have sex with me earlier, my body tells me it's time to have sex, and the other person says, you know, you didn't really spend any time with me, I don't feel connected to you, so I don't want to have sex. (laughs) You know, like, what is this? This feels like... You know, bait and swish, this feels like a gyp. You know, five minutes ago before we were married, you was wanted to have sex. What what are you talking about here? And these two cycles basically influence each other. They have gravity on each other. And I think that it's it's not a man's fault, it's not a woman's fault. I mean, men, it is a blessing. It is important, it is essential. That when they want to have sex, that they bring that desire into the space. Like we depend on that. It's I would say it's such a crazy solution when frequency discrepancy enters the picture. If a man says, okay, well, I'm just, I'm not gonna ask as much because then that pressures you and you're gonna not want it as much. It's like, no, 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 no. Your desire is good, gentlemen. It's good. But the other thing is men often need to have more emotional intelligence in terms of how do I stay connected? What does it mean when she says she wants emotional connection? And women, the research shows, often their turn on, their start place is emotional connection. But in fairness to men, if a woman pulls away sexually, She dysregulates him emotionally. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. if I don't have a dependable sexual partner, I'm really not going to feel like spending time with you and being nice to you and listening to all your feelings and all your day, right? I mean, both people dysregulate each other and it becomes a big knot.
2: And we call
1: that, in my world, the negative cycle that has a life of its own and it keeps getting more and more polarized, pulling away from each other, not knowing how to solve that. And, of course, that's my life work is how do we solve that?
0: <laughs> yeah how do we get out how do we get out of that mess <laughs> well, and that's I think that's the other interesting thing I talked about this on a recent show where hopefully I'm citing this correctly, but the research that I found was that something like one in four marriages will end up at some point becoming a sexless marriage, and that was a lot higher than I thought you know and and I mean, I don't know what I was really expecting, but it was higher than I thought.
1: Within two years, Connor.
0: Right. Which is, I mean, that's like, that's shocking to me. That's you know. Crazy. And so and so, I think it, being a man who in my pack, I mean, thank God I didn't know that data before I got married. <laughs> you know, it may have, it may have been a, a deciding factor in it. But I mean, that's, yeah. you know, because I think, well, a few things. One, I love what you said about the testosterone. Because I think one of the things that gets lost in the mix is the very real impact of a most men many men's drive to pursue to want to desire you know you can use many words in there right um, mm-hmm. and you know I remember my wife and I having this conversation and I could tell that she was sort of talking about me and men as if we were hairy women and I said I don't think you understand what it's like to to get testosterone coursing through your body as a teenage boy, where all of a sudden you're getting boners on the bus and in the right. classroom and you're you're really sexually aroused. And there is this sort of predilection towards aggression that starts to come up. And it really has a significant impact on how we develop and how we relate to the world and how we you know eventually relate to women. So I appreciate that you brought that up. And then I, I think the other thing that really stood out to me was this notion of sexual discrepancy which i want to talk about and the importance of emotional connection because i do think that that seems to play a big role so when women are when women are saying that what do we as men actually need to know right i want more connection i want more closeness what's what's happening there
1: such an important question and i don't want to forget though your first comment of that women need to understand what would it be like to have a body that courses with testosterone that makes you always horny that makes you filled with desire you know i i think about that a lot first of all i'm jealous i don't have penis envy i always say i have t envy because there's so much good that comes with testosterone yes there's some aggression but it's really an aliveness you know testosterone is an antidepressant, it's mm-hmm. drive, it's ambition. I mean, it's a very powerful hormone. I saw a man who was super depressed, super depressed. I mean, he's weeping in my office, Connor. And at that point, I think, you know, I'd seen him for a number of months and I'm like, I'm done. You are going to go on an antidepressant. You're going to go on an SSRI. I, I'm too afraid. You're, you're, you're falling apart. You know, men mm-hmm. don't weep. This is a problem. And so he's like, Well, let me talk to my urologist. You know, he had suggested testosterone because I have low testosterone. I'm like, Yes, talk to your doctor and your urologist about that. He came back, and in one week, he was buoyant. He was happy. He was back on it. He had libido. You know, I mean, testosterone is a powerful drug, not just for sex drive, but Mm -hmm. also for our sense of optimism in the world. And this is one of the problems being a woman. We also have estrogen and progesterone that cycles. And so we're riding these waves that impact our emotion without that stabilizer of testosterone, which would even out our moods. So, I mean, hormones are mood drugs for one. And I think, man, yes, God love them. I mean, just what would it be like to I mean, I think that the joy of walking down the street and just your body like responding, probably the torture too, you know, (laughs) of walking down the street and having your body just kind of respond to all this, you know, visual stimuli. How how both disconcerting and how wonderful. But back to what do women mean when they say they want emotional connection? So yes, I, I think it's very specific. Emotional connection looks like talking, listening is talking. So what a woman wants is engagement. So when she says, hey, I saw Susan at the store, you know, your high school cheerleading friend. I mean, she doesn't want to, oh, you did? Like, she wants engagement. Oh, how was she? What was happening? Blah, blah, blah. And you have to kind of listen, right? Maybe Susan was the girl she's always been jealous of. So when she brings it up, She's really bringing up a controversial topic. And if you're a smart man, you're going to want to damp that down. Oh, good. Done. Let's not talk about Susan anymore because last time we talked about Susan, it was a big fight. But ironically, she's bringing it up for a reason and a purpose and wants engagement. So maybe if it is just benign, she still wants you to ask questions. What you know? What was she, she doing? Was she married? Does she have children now? Some sort of dialogue and conversation. if it is controversial, she's probably looking for reassurance, right? It's just simply talking about it. I know the last time we talked about Susan, we had a big fight and and I know you felt, you know, like that I had given her too much attention the last time we had seen her. And I just want you to know you're my girl. You're it. Mm. And I want to talk to you about Susan if you want to talk about Susan, but my body is telling me this is a, a dicey subject. I'm kind of on high alert right here because I don't want you to feel threatened. And it was through no fault of my own that you happened to run into Susan, but I know that the last time you were triggered. Those are so mm. many words. <laughs> I mean, think of how many words I just said. And most men are trained to be succinct, to get bullet points. To shut down conversation that might be controversial or might be potentially escalated, right? It's like, mm. man, my my protection says shut it down, shut it down, walk away, Go, you know, let's just not talk about Susan because that's scary. And as a woman, emotional engagement means talk to me about even difficult things, engage with me, respond to my bids for conversation. That's a mm. tall order. It really is. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's interesting because I think I I mean I agree in many ways. And I think what's interesting is the counter narrative that a lot of guys hear about that I actually want to explore, which is this notion of the quote unquote the asshole, right? The guy that isn't paying attention to a woman's emotional needs, that isn't tuning into that part of her life. And that creates this dynamic oftentimes that you know, culturally, we know that women are attracted to. And I, the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about like the desire for emotional connection, and we can get into the details of this, was like Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Mm-hmm. It's like here, mm-hmm. you know, there's a book. Oh yeah, there's Christian Grey. <laughs> Christian Grey. Like a lot of these romance novels where in some of them, the woman is very emotionally taken care of, but in, in others, it's not about emotional connections, about darker sexual desires and power and control and these types of things. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Like, where does that play in? Because I think that there are these counter narratives that we as men hear of women want a very strong man and they want a man who can create direction and make decisions and who's assertive and who's bold and who has power and those things are attractive, right? And we know that. Yes, so,
1: yes.
0: <laughs> so tell me about that. Where does that fit in?
1: Like, it, like how is this, right? Now you're telling me you want somebody who's all emotional. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, when you said direction, I heard erection. is well, the way my <laughs> brain works. <laughs> you know, we do want men who have erection. That's true, too, yeah. And, and that that erection, that, that essential stand-up part, mm. you know, is very attractive. I think that, yeah, I hear this too. Women are attracted to the, the tall, dark, silent guy who basically seems to be all together, right? It's like his silence, his assertiveness, his assurance, you know, is often something in the beginning that feels like, okay, you're really stable. But many times that same move... Over time, over a relationship, it's not about stability. It's actually about instability. I don't want to talk to you because I don't know how to deal with conflict very well. Mm. I'm not direct. I I don't think that necessarily women want men to look like women, like hairy women. I think they still appreciate a man who will be forthcoming with who he is. What happens with the asshole type is that over time in a romantic relationship, their shutdown is really more about an insecure attachment. I don't like conflict, so I just don't go there. But then in relationship, there's so many things that need to be resolved, and they don't necessarily even put their needs out there. Well, this is what I think should happen. They just maybe say yes, but then they do what they want anyway. You know, it's sort of like a passive-aggressive strategy. I'll yes you, or I won't say anything, but I'm going to do what I damn well want to do. And over time, that part wears really thin in relationship. Mm. I, I get it. I think it's why are women attracted to the the strength and that virile kind of mannerism and character in the beginning? I mean, I think there's something visual, certainly. I don't think it's all about good looks, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, because women tell me all the time, look, at, I'm attracted to this man. And I, too. You know, I was attracted to men that weren't necessarily good looking, technically i found them very attractive because of the strength of their mind and mm. their character and and that was very exciting but i don't think it's just how they look i think it is that they put themselves out there kind of openly but you're right in relationship these men sometimes don't know how to do it don't know how to keep on putting themselves out there they actually are withdrawers it turns out mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because they're part of what I'm wanting to get at because I can hear the guys in my audience. Oh yeah.
1: Help me. You Help know, me guys. I
0: can hear the guys in my audience sort of saying like, you know, because we, I haven't yet met a man and yeah, I'm sure there's one out there, but I haven't yet met a man who isn't in a relationship or married and doesn't want to be one of, if not the best sexual partner that his partner's ever oh, had. Yes. Right. And so oh, yes. a lot of guys are with their partner and they're thinking, how do I become the best lover that you've had? And that can seem very mysterious for a lot of men who maybe get mixed messages. Like, okay, you want me to be emotionally available, but you also want me to be dark and mysterious. And you also, and so, you know, I think- How confusing. Yeah. And so, so I'm, damn
1: confusing. I'm
0: curious about like, what is the appeal of the romance novels? What do they, for women, what do they portray? And the characters that are in them, like the Christian Grey, what is it about them? Is it just that they represent this sort of symbol of peak masculinity in some ways? Got all the power, all the money, the status, the good looks, the mysteriousness. Like, what is it about that dynamic that's very appealing to women? And is that something that men need to bring into a relationship or develop within themselves? Is it even important?
1: You're saying so many things. Um, (laughs) I think that, yeah, the appeal of the romance novel is, I really think it's about being irresistible to a man who is sexually dynamic and probably has it all together, you know, in many ways. So it's, it's twofold. I am irresistible. And the other is he is exciting to me in this way i mean oftentimes the man in the romance novel is sexually proficient Mm. you know and i think that one of the troubling parts of a romance that i find as a female sex therapist is that it's not highly esteemed in these romance novels that women be sexually proficient Mm. you know it's like she's somehow or another the damsel the virgin Not really a grown, mature sexual partner, Mm. right? It's like she's the one to be initiated, and he's the one to do that. And that's a fabulous fantasy. I I got nothing (laughs) against that. Fabulous fantasy. (laughs) I was going to say, I think
0: it's a fantasy a lot of women have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I totally get that. But I think a lot of men have a fantasy once they're married that she brings it. That she brings her full sexual self and that she also shows her desire for his irresistibility. Mm. I mean, I think it's very human to want our partner to really, really desire us. So I think that, yeah, in, in fantasy, that's great. But I think that, unfortunately, the romance novel sends a message to women that is disempowering about her sexuality. And, oh, I got lots to say, Connor. But um, there is some research on that, that women early in relationship, if they are sexually assertive, that destabilizes men sexually and emotionally. They get afraid, even if it's, and they've done clarity on this, on the research, even if she's only all about him, she's really wants him with some level of passion. Oftentimes he gets afraid. Well, this means she might be promiscuous. She wants sex too much. So mm. sometimes I wonder if men then don't select for the woman who he has to chase, you know, who is not as developed and mature sexually. But then when he's married and partnered, it's like, surprise, I'm still having to chase her. Wait a second. I was thinking once right. it was done, she was going to chase me back. Mm. You know, so there's a little bit of research that is problematic for both genders. Yeah. But let's just say you got what you got.
0: <laughs> no, I pre- I appreciate that.
1: And now you want a partner, right? Who comes on to you and who is desirous of you. Can can I just say a tiny little bit about Please? anatomy that's really important? Please. You know, hopefully men know that the clitoris is the center of her sexual world, right? It's not the vagina. The vagina feels good. And I would say most women, it is a powerful psychological, emotional. And intimate experience to have sexual intercourse, awesome. Most women don't climax that way. Only 20% do, really, at all, period, unless it's accompanied by clitoral stimulation. About 100% of women climax with clitoral stimulation. So if you're a lover, if you're a male lover of a woman... You need to definitely know that piece. And it isn't a magic button. Most women, this is the crazy part, is you need to stimulate her clitoris for about 15 minutes before she orgasms. But she doesn't like you to do that right away,
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) you know, because it doesn't feel good. She's not lubricated. She's just not ready psychologically to be touched so intimately. So it's really about 20 minutes of caressing, kissing, making out, dancing, you know, taking her clothes off having her take your clothes off, all of that kind of mental arousal before she's ready for you to touch her clitoris.
0: Mm, yeah, that's very important. Um,
1: yeah, I think and I'm... a lot of men don't know that. And and porn doesn't show that. And yeah. movies don't show that. I will say romance novels do talk about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, They do talk about the man going down on her or stimulating her clitoris. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not quite as explicit as that but it is all implied and so women know oh yeah he knows what he's doing
0: right 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 well and i I like this notion i want to come back to this notion of being sexually what was the word that you used mature yeah but like having proficiency like sexual proficiency like being very capable Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um And having that be a part of your personality. And so I think maybe not a part of your personality, but something that if you want in your dynamic in your relationship that you explore and that you develop, you know, I don't think that sexual proficiency is necessarily a given. It comes through experience. It comes through practice. It comes through, you know, exploration. It comes through
1: communication.
0: It comes through communication. Primarily through
1: communication, right? Because every woman is a little different. And so she needs to talk and, and men say, look, and I would stand on my head to get her to tell me what she likes, what may, what would turn her on. Uh-huh. And I think one of the things you said is, you know, men want to turn on their partners and, and they're trying to become a great lover. And then it gets so complicated because sometimes he can be frustrated when she says well, I don't really know what I like or that was good. And what was good? Tell me, was it the circle move? Was it the tapping <laughs> move? What What was good? Girl, just let me in. And then he wants to try that the next time. And you know what? The next time she ate Chinese food and she's got a little too much salt and didn't feel it like good anymore. And she's like, no, that doesn't work. And he's like, What? that worked last time. I mean, I think it would be so frustrating to be a lover of women because their bodies are so damn complicated and they are complicated by her cycle, by what she ate, by the mood she's in. I mean, it is, I want to provide to you and to the men that are listening, you're right. It is complicated. It is kind of unfair because it's so easy to stimulate a man. Usually, once you figure out what works, it works and it works every time, mm. you know, and it's much simpler and it is so complicated and you do need her feedback, but by and large, you got to know where the target is and that's the clitoris.
0: So for the, for the women that tune into my show, I'm curious, cause I want to talk about this a little bit. What does that self-exploration of the body maybe look like? Cause I do think this is a, this is something that I hear a lot of men say, right? I'm trying to understand what my partner wants and needs, but she doesn't seem to know or understand. She's not really connected with her own sexual body or arousal, and I don't know how to get her there. I'm not even too sure what questions to ask. So I'd like to explore that a little bit from both sides. You know, what what can a woman do to explore that and start to begin to understand her own body? And and what can we as men do in order to lead her down that path or have those conversations or encourage If it's something where, you know, she's anxious or nervous, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Good question. And obviously if she's anxious and nervous and she hasn't done any exploration of her own, it can be a real challenge. There's a lot of reasons women don't masturbate. Much of it is cultural or the way they were raised, you know, that it's not being a good girl if you touch yourself or it's somehow or another religious prohibition or they got caught. And parents react very differently to catching a little girl masturbating than they do to catching a boy. Mm-hmm. You know, a boy is sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the boy toy. A little girl, all these terrible scenarios run through their heads, right, of she could be in danger, she could become sexual and then therefore be um, used, violated, get pregnant. You know, I mean, there's more tension. And so you think about, you know, most kids— a lot of kids have been discovered masturbating, but there's more damage usually because the parents have a bigger reaction to a girl child masturbating than to a boy child, even though it's the same thing. All children masturbate, <laughs> even to somebody who said, I never did, they did. They just don't remember, mm-hmm. but it's really natural to explore our bodies because they feel good and kids aren't, you know, they explore their bodies and 70% of women learn how to have orgasms through masturbation. Sometimes women learn how to have an orgasm in a position, for instance, a really common one is a girl on her stomach kind of moving her labia with a pillow or masturbating against an object like a stuffed animal or something. But it's not a position that's terribly conducive to lovemaking later on. And they kind of get set. This is what works. This is how I do it. This is how I get there. Boom. Boys, boys. I mean, the beautiful thing about erections is they kind of work, you know, like in many different positions, standing up, lying down, you know, in the bath, in the shower. It's like men have more reliable experience reaching orgasm through masturbation in many different positions than girls do. And so so some of the masturbation, they, it might not have been as open as you might have wanted or imagined. So I think, what do you do? I think that if I were a man with a partner who was not that experimental, I might try something, you know, what about, you know, maybe with her back to his chest and with a lubricant, I love Uber Lube, I love, you know, oils, coconut oil is good, touching her clitoris after she's been aroused a little bit. It's not, this can't start off as the very first thing, but basically learning to touch her and do the move for a period of time. You know, maybe it's a circular stroke. Maybe it's the side of the labia. But just say, you know, I'm going to do something, and I'd love for you to give me a score, like a rating. Is this On a scale of one to five, how good does this feel? So that he starts to learn where he's at, you know, what it feels like when he reaches down. And first of all, if he doesn't know where her clitoris is, and a lot of men don't, he needs to do this, while she's lying on her back and he's looking at her. Because the way a vulva becomes aroused changes the way she feels to his hands, you know. And and essentially, women also have erectile tissue that fills with blood and feels different, unaroused and aroused. And if you're a man, it's in the dark, and you reach down and try to touch her vulva, the firmest place in her vulva is actually her urethra. So they may think, okay, I'm touching something firm down there. I got it. No, you don't. In fact, it's going to irritate the heck out of her because urethras don't really like to be stimulated all that much. (laughs) So watching a vulva from an unaroused state to becoming aroused, if she'll let you, that would be the best way to learn touches and to share information. And if she's really anxious, like, I don't know if I can let you look at me. Oh, my gosh, you know try it in candlelight first, maybe one candle. Mm. Then the next week, two candles. The next week, you know, on and on until there's 30 candles candles in the room and you might as well be doing it in sunlight, you know, so that you you can help work with her anxiety. And I mean, women are so anxious about how they look, how they smell. Men are like, Yeah, right. That's what I love about it. I love the way she looks. I love the way she smells. I love the way she tastes. And she won't let me express that because she's anxious. I'm like, I know. You gotta work that through.
0: I think that's all really, really good advice. And I think that's action. That's something clear that I think that men can do in terms of in terms of when it's the man who is a little more reserved and apprehensive, because this is true as well. Where there's, you know, quite a few men who, for one reason or another, whether it's because the marriage yes. has become sexless or it's sort of always been this way in the dynamic, where you know she wants more sex or more sort of a certain type of sex, like a certain type of power dynamic, yeah. and he feels very confronted to enter into that or or to to mm-hmm. meet that. What would you say, uh, you know, we as men can do to Either up our libido, or connect to our own sexual arousal, or deal with sometimes the shame because I think I think shame gets a, you know plays a huge part in when a man is feeling sexually disconnected from his partner. But I would love for you to speak to
1: that. Yeah, and I would say that about twenty percent of the couples I work with, it is the woman who has higher mm-hmm. libido. She doesn't have higher testosterone. She simply has higher libido, and sometimes with the men. I'll want their testosterone checked by their urologist. Do you really have low T? Is that really what's going on here? What happens? I I think one problem I see that inhibits men is that they get anxious about, will this dynamic result in a good erection?
2: Mm.
1: And if they're afraid of their performance, even if the woman says over and over, it's not your erection, it's not your penis, I really need your energy, that's what I'm looking for. If his penis is not going to work or if it fails or if he, you know, loses his erection, he has a lot of difficulty, a lot of shame about that coming in and and playing. So sometimes the woman may want an extended role play and he's thinking, well, you know, I had an erection in the beginning and now I don't. And now I'm out of the game.
2: Mm.
1: You know, she's going to look at me. She's going to think I'm a failure. I don't feel sexy anymore. I don't feel powerfully sexual and like I can dominate her because I don't even have an erection. You know, so a lot of it, I think, if you really get down and talk to them, it often plays into his physiology. And I would say to the men, nobody expects you to have an erection for forty five minutes. I mean, no kidding, you don't have an erection. It really is about your sexual energy and what you bring from your heart and your you know your spirit versus your heart on. You know, it's like, yeah, it would be great, but you know what? if you lose your erection, you know, then, Part of that role play could be about her going down on you, or her stimulating you, or her, you know, giving you a hand job or something, so that you get it back. I mean, I think it's unreasonable, and I think this is a cultural expectation that porn has given that men should have extended erections, huge erections. You you know, Connor, right? That the average man is five point one inches long, Mm -hmm. right? It's five point one inches, and what does porn show? I mean, these men are like. I'm sorry, I, you know, George always laughs at me, my co-host on 4 Blake, my podcast, he always laughs when I say this, but it's like, it's like a circus,
2: Hmm.
1: you know? I mean, porn is a circus. It is, it is not realistic.
0: Yeah. I mean, in many ways it's, it's entertainment. It's designed for that. But I also think that it plays to our desires as, as men, many men to sort of fit this certain role and to embody this certain role. And so, yeah, I I agree. I think it can create very unrealistic expectations. And in porn, they have fluffers. They have somebody that's waiting on the sidelines to give a man a hand job or give him a blowjob exactly. and keep him hard as things, you know, go on. Exactly. And there's pills and routines and I mean their whole life, they're they're a professional porn star. You know, I've actually exactly. I have I have an interview coming out with a former male porn star and he talks about uh-huh. this. You know, he talks about yeah. like how I have sex at home or with the women that I'm that I date is not at all like the sex that i have on camera on set yeah on, on set, set it's very right. very exactly. different
1: exactly and and i'm not saying that it creates unrealistic expectations just about women i'm saying it creates unrealistic expectations for the man about themselves yeah about what their penis size should be about how long they should be erect also about how easy it is to arouse a woman mm. you know because a lot of the women present as very, very aroused right at the beginning, or at least wanting to be touched right away, wanting to have intercourse quickly. You know, I mean, there is... And then I think what happens as a man, if you're watching that, is like, my wife doesn't respond like that. My partner doesn't respond like that. It isn't necessarily critical of her, like, what's wrong with her? I think a lot of men turn it inside. They feel ashamed. Of what's wrong with me? Totally. Why am I not such a compelling lover that she's just turned on like you know, drop the hat. Yeah. And it's so, unfortunately, making love to a woman and in a heterosexual relationship is so complicated. I'm sure you have gay men who listen too. So I apologize for, as a woman and I'm in a straight relationship, I, that is compelling for me, but I know that, and I think gay men have different issues and, you know, different experiences as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, there's, there's gay men that listen to the podcast and know that there's, there's also lesbian couples and non-binary people that listen to the show. But I, you know, I think mm-hmm. predominantly that's, it's heterosexual folks that are tuning into the okay. show. And, but, okay. but I want to have this, this conversation, because I think this is very specific for a lot of, you know, we can talk about sexual discrepancy between two people. I think mm-hmm. how I initially wanted to ask it was, you know, what, what, what happens when she's not interested cuz i get this question yeah. from guys all the time right she doesn't want as much sex as me you know what do i need to do she wants me to stop asking how do i engage her why is she feeling this way and the sexual discrepancy conversation is such a big one so let's just start with you know how does this come about and then maybe work our way down to what what do we do
1: you are absolutely right it's a big conversation sexual discrepancy between a man and a woman, is probably the number one difficulty sexually. Mm. That, yeah, I mean, if he's got normal tea, he's going to want sex biologically a whole lot more than she does. How do I make her want it? Yeah, it's great if she gives it to me. You know, if she lays down and, you know, gives me sex, that's good. I'm not going to turn that down. But what I would really, really love is a woman who wants it for herself. You know, because why? Then I know I am assured supply. And when we know about economics, right? When supply goes down, demand goes up. And that happens emotionally for men. If I worry about sexual supply, that my partner is not going to be available to me when I want sex, my demand internally, I start to get frantic. Mm. I start to want it more. I start to become preoccupied by it because I'm worried that it isn't coming. And ironically, that produces the negative cycle because his frantic desire creates more of a demand. I'm asking more frequently, maybe than I even want it. I ask, and then she feels this ever-increasing demand. She tells herself, not necessarily just that he wants it all the time, but also I'm failing. Mm. I can never make my partner happy. When you believe you can never make your partner happy and no matter what you do, it's not enough, right, which is what men often feel emotionally. I can't make her happy. I don't know how to do this thing. No matter what I do, I don't make her happy. She feels the same thing on the sexual side. And it's demotivating. So one of the things we want to do is, first of all, conversations about sex that are critical or disappointed, we never want to have them naked. Like when your partner is naked, that is not the time to talk about, you know, why don't you ever want it? Or, you know, that was good. Why don't you want it most of the time? You know, why, why, does, why is this a struggle? Not the time to have it. When you're naked, all you want to say is that was awesome, honey. That was great. I felt so good. You know, I want you to feel good. Go to sleep. Conversations about sex have to happen over coffee, in a restaurant, away from home, away from the bedroom, <laughs> where it's neutral space. Those are the conversations. Then it's about, you know, it really has to be done with some delicacy and some intelligence. And and that is my whole life work on foreplay is to help people have these conversations with intelligence so that they don't push their partner away. Because the last thing I want is every time I talk about it, my partner shuts down further. Mm. So I really want to get curious about, you know, tell me about... Um, Not tell me what turns you on because that's a very male question. Men want to have sex because they feel turned on. It's about vulnerability. I I want you so much. I want to make love to you. And when we aren't making love regularly, which for me regularly is two or three times a week, I start to feel this frantic place inside that it's like I, I tell myself I'm unattractive. I tell myself that you don't think I'm desirable. And then I start to feel bad about myself, and then I get angry at you. And probably the only thing you see is the anger at you. I mean, I basically stripped for my partner emotionally to do that. But it gets a lot better results than the push, which is anger. You know, you don't ever want it. Why don't you ever want it? You used to want it. You know, what can I do? I'd do anything. I'd be shameless for you you know, this is the push. And what we know in dynamics is push results and pull away. Mm-hmm. Just like when she says to him, you know, you never want to spend time with me. You know, you, you always want to be off playing games and, you know, you rush through dinner. It's like, what, what's wrong with you? You know, why don't we sit and have a glass of wine and talk and connect? It's like, you haven't even told me about your day. And you can feel my frantic push, right? And it's like, holy shit. I just... I want to move away from you. All that energy, Mm -hmm. I want to get away. And so we got to learn to talk to each other in ways that are vulnerable, that draw our partner in, show our partner who we are and what we need from them. And that indeed, it's not just a message of you're failing me.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, what what I usually tell guys is rule number one, don't complain or criticize your way to getting laid. It's not going to work right? It's never not going much. to work, right? If you, it, right. It, or it, it might work once or twice, but it's not going to work. It's not a long-term plan essentially. <laughs>
1: and even if you get sex after that, is it really sex worth having? Right,
0: right, right, right. You exactly. Know? So, so we, you know, you got to catch yourself on the act of trying to complain or criticize your way into a sexual connection. I'm curious to, to, I know we're getting short on time, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this notion of asking for sex. Because I hear this quite a bit and having worked with a number of couples, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. We've done a lot of work together. Oh,
2: yeah. And nice. I think
0: one of the interesting things that I've found is that men, especially in long-term relationships or marriages, will often get into this habit of asking like, oh, do you want to have sex tonight? Or can we have sex in an hour? Or can we have sex later? And predominantly, not all women, but for a lot of women, that's sort of like a turnoff. It immediately is like, oh, now there's pressure to have sex, or you know, now I'm thinking about whether I want to or not. So what's your insight around, quote unquote, asking for sex versus acting on creating the possibility of sex happening?
1: Such a good question. So I say, if you ask a woman, like a, a basic sexual withdrawing woman who's a little harried, you know, do you want to have sex tonight? Uh, no. You know, because her body is not fired up the way your body is. Like men are like a a car with a full tank of gas all the time. So that question, if a woman said to him, do you want to have sex tonight? He'd be like, yeah, start the engine, baby. You know, whereas for her, her, her body, she's got a hot car, but she's got a broken starter. And so we got to learn to get past the broken starter. So what I would say, rather than do you want to have sex is, honey, I want to make love to you. Like I would look at her. I would look at her directly in her eyes. I would be vulnerable. It would be she's my object, not I'm horny and I just want to get off, which is what women hear. I I know that men want to make love to their partner, particularly. But when the question comes, do you want to have sex? It's like. It's about sex versus about me. And again, it goes back to that romantic novel. I want to be the object of irresistibility to you. Mm. That, I mean, Meredith Shivers, she's a sex researcher from Canada, says, you know, to women, being desired is the orgasm. I mean, I think that this is why women do hookups. Women do not do hookups for orgasms. Only 10% of women in hookups have orgasms. Mm. Women do hookups because they enjoy that feeling of being irresistible, to being the object of desire, to being seen as super hot. And I know I've worked with men forever. I know they're protesting as they hear me say this. It's like, Lori, I do think she's hot. I do tell her all the time she's hot. She doesn't (laughs) respond. I know. But in the moment, trust me, get her a glass of wine. The children are down. Sit and talk for 20 minutes look her in the eyes and say, you know, I want you and make it sexy. Because if you ask her, do you want to have sex? Invariably, her body isn't turned on yet. So Mm -hmm. she wants to have sex after she's aroused, after she knows, after you've been doing something for a while, you've been touching her. Then she turns on and actually desire comes second to arousal. Then she's like, oh, I'm really glad I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. So we got to get her in the mood Get her to the touching point, and I might say, you know what? Let's just start. Let's let me kiss on you a little bit. If if nothing happens, that's cool. But let's let's fool around a little bit, see what happens, and then if you turn on, let's go for it. You know, I would at least get to the gate.
2: Mm.
0: I want to make sure that I heard that right. You said desire comes after arousal.
1: For more than 50% of women, uh-huh.
0: yes. Yeah, and you know, I love, I can't remember who said it. Maybe you'll know who said this term. It was um, something along the lines of like foreplay happens as soon as you wake up in the morning. And I've sort of yeah. loved this notion of dropping hints along the way. It's like, you know, I'll do this all the time with my wife. It's like, oh, you look really good. And it's 10 o'clock in the morning, right? And I'll just, I'll give her the up and down, you know, or I'll let her feel my desire for her, you know, and I'll, I'll look at her and I'll make a comment like, oh, I really want you right now. I got to go to work, but I really want you right now. And it's just sort of like planting Lovely. these seeds along the way where yes. it's it's kind of like getting into the mind. It's like, oh, he wants me. Oh, I feel good about that. Now I feel sexy and attractive. And but right. it But there's no, like I find that we as men can get so, I've talked to the guys, many guys about this, but specifically the guys in the Alliance, the membership that we have, I've talked to the guys about having outcome-less arousal, outcome-less desire for your partner and having it not be about like, oh, I want you because I want to get off, right? I want you because I want to orgasm because a lot of the times I find that women can feel that. So what's your thoughts on that notion of foreplay starts in the morning, right? This idea that how do we create sexual connection outside of just that moment where maybe Sex is happening or going to happen or possible. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I love what you said. You know, you're giving compliments about her attractiveness throughout the day. I think women do respond to, you know, attention, and it could be many things. Like if I were a guy and I am sort of more driven to get my work done and then have time for sex, I might set aside you know, alarms in my clock, it's ten 10.05, you know, send a text, mm. you know, a casual, it, she doesn't even have to know that. But if you are thoughtful throughout the day of just little tiny touches, as well as I think affection, so many women say, you know, he only touches me when he wants to have sex. And mm. Oh my gosh. I mean, and this has always been a great thing between my husband and I. I mean, we always, we touch each other all day long. You know, we often now, especially after pandemic, we work from home together. So it's like he walks by me, he hugs me, he spanks my ass or, you know, some something that lets me know that he's touching me, literally touching me. Mm-hmm. And I've always touched him, too, all day long. And I think that that affection, so many men don't almost have permission for their need for affection,
2: mm.
1: you know, their need to be touched other than they give themselves permission during the sex act. But they don't even realize how good it feels to them to be touched. So I I would say, yes, compliments big time and also touching that is simply affectionate all day long. You know, when you come home, it's so many people don't even kiss, Connor. I know. You know, they've let that go. Yeah. Kiss hello, kiss goodbye, quick squeeze, quick hug. Definitely stroking. You know, if she's in the kitchen, don't go up behind her and bump her with your erection. (laughs) Go behind her and massage her shoulders a little bit and say, and make the compliments specific. You know, ooh, I love the way your hair smells. I could just bury myself in your neck right now and let your hair wipe all over my face. That's like sexy. Hmm. You know, more than you look nice, it, it has to be, you know what? Your jeans, honey, they show your ass. And I love that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it has to be really specific about her body and about who she is, how she smells, how she looks, you know, the creativity that she brings to things. I mean, it's a lot of work. But I will say it's a reciprocal amount of work for a woman Mm -hmm. without the hormone influence to be a good sexual partner. Mm. I mean, men, yeah, you got to do a lot of stuff. And women, you got to do a lot of stuff, too.
0: Yeah, but I love this notion of sexual proficiency. Like, I think for me, you know, I've been reflecting on this as I I just put out a a program for men called Relationship Mastery. And I've been reflecting a lot on what made me successful sexually when I was single, besides Mm. the like, you know, six foot two in good shape, etc., and I and I think one of the things brag baby, yeah, I know that right? was like oh, that's put
1: you in good shape <laughs> that woo.
0: sounds that sounds arrogant as okay, okay. right?
1: <laughs>
2: but I
0: think one of the things you know one of the things that I discovered was I was sort of a mystery and that was appealing there I was, was very en- enigmatic in some ways but I think the other thing was that I had sexual confidence and I think that came through in the way that I communicated to women and that played into my relationships as well and i think what i've come to learn about a lot of men is that they actually don't feel sexually confident or in truth they don't feel sexually capable or proficient and i think for the men that are out there listening you know maybe the takeaway from this conversation is there's deep merit and value in beginning the journey however old you are wherever you are in life whatever your relationship status looks like in starting that process of developing sexual proficiency um, mm-hmm. that's my takeaway from what you're saying mm-hmm. and i'm and i think that that's a really really freaking valuable one but i'm curious if there's anything else that you would want to add in to that before we sign off today
1: you know i think it is more than just experience it is the ability to communicate with a partner I, i've had a lot of men who have come in and said lori i've been with like 30 plus women and none of them needed clitoral stimulation I'm like Okay. Didn't they though?
0: Didn't they though?
1: Yeah, I know you thought you gave them screaming orgasms, but maybe not. But no, I think yes. How do you have sexual confidence when you don't have it? How do you gain it? Mm. I mean, I think a lot of it is you can learn a lot. From books from podcasts, there's a great resource out there, oh my god yes.com. it's a it's actually a how to touch a woman and it's very artfully done. it's not it is explicit, so it is as explicit as porn, but it's beautifully done showing technique and please use my code foreplay that helps me but but I don't say it simply I've used this as a resource for my couples for a long, long time. I really think for a man. To want to understand how to touch a woman, that's a great resource Mm. uh, because you can actually see techniques isolated, you know, one technique and there's a label and, you know, that helps communication with our partners, all of that.
0: Wonderful. Well. Listen, Dr. Watson, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that everyone else out there got as much value out of this conversation. I really enjoyed this conversation. And me
1: too. Yeah. I'm like, is it really up? You have to stop? It was such a great conversation.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Connor. Yeah. And I think we'll have to have you back on and uh, in, in the future. I'll have links to your, your website in the show notes. But is there anywhere else outside of your website that you'd like people to go uh, to check out your work?
1: Well, definitely the podcast, for Plague for Couples and Sex Therapy with George Fowler and I. I mean, we talk about this stuff every week and we try to give both explicit tips and dynamic tips so that you can understand how to become a good sexual partner, how to do this vulnerability thing without losing the masculinity. George is a macho guy mm. and he's also very emotional. And I think he does a really good demo as a male about how you show emotional vulnerability, but how you're a real man. So
0: Awesome. Awesome. We'll have yeah. a link to that Thanks. in the show notes as well. And for everyone that's out there listening, you might want to listen to this with your partner, you know, have some conversations, get, let this be the the spark to the dialogue of, you know, different types of sex or what you want to explore, or just starting the conversation around certain types of foreplay and what you want. So tune in, send them the show. And as always, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.